know is that Saddam has this material. We don't know that. I mean, he just keeps repeating the lie. Just because you're the prime minister, it doesn't mean you get to make up your own facts. Today is National Whistleblower Appreciation Day, and there will be a special screening of the new film, Official Secrets, which opens nationwide next month. Cinema Junkie will celebrate with an interview with the film's director, Gavin Hood. In 2018, the U.S. Senate, led by Senator Chuck Grassley, unanimously passed a resolution to mark July 30th as the commemorative day to celebrate National Whistleblower Appreciation. Today is meant as an annual recognition of whistleblowers whose actions have protected the American people from fraud or malfeasance. Hollywood has often celebrated whistleblowers, whether it's Humphrey Bogart exposing boxing scandals and the harder they fall, or Al Pacino's honest cop in Serpico trying to expose police corruption, or Woodward and Bernstein famously breaking the story about Watergate in All the President's Men. Hollywood loves telling these kinds of stories because a whistleblower can provide material that's ripe for intense narratives. But these stories also provide an opportunity to celebrate ordinary people who decide they need to speak out about something they know is wrong. Think of Meryl Streep Silkwood, a worker at a nuclear facility who worries about its safety practices, or Russell Crowe's tobacco executive who can no longer tolerate his industry's lies. Official Secrets tells the story of Catherine Gunn. The film's tagline reads, she risked everything to stop an unjust war. Her government called her a traitor. Official Secrets tells the story of Catherine Gunn, played by Kira Knightley. She's a British intelligence specialist whose job involves routine handling of classified information. But then one day in 2003, in the lead-up to the Iraq War, Gunn receives a memo from the NSA with a shocking directive. The United States is enlisting Britain's help in collecting compromising information on the United Nations Security Council members in order to blackmail them into voting in favor of an invasion of Iraq. Now she's faced with a choice, leak the memo or just ignore it. I need to take a short break and then I'll be back with my interview with director Gavin Hood, who talks about his new film, Official Secrets. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet when you're hungry for information and entertainment. You go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Gavin, how did you first hear about Official Secrets, and what about it appealed to you? Um, I just finished a film called Eye in the Sky um, with a producer called Jed Doherty, who I like very much, and Jed called me up, and we were thinking, you know, is there anything we want to do, anything else we can find to do together? And he said to me, have you ever heard of Catherine Gunn? And I sort of 
thought, well, it sounds like I should have, but I hadn't, <laughs> I confess. And he said, well, just Google her and then give me a call. And, um, you know, so began a journey of getting to know Catherine. I then flew to London and spent many days with her, spent about five days, and we worked together every day. Just asked her to start at the beginning of her story and tell me her story and just made notes. And pretty much by day two, I was hooked that this was a film I wanted to make. We seem to be in a political climate right now where this idea of being a patriot or questioning your country comes up a lot and people are trying to define that. So how do you think your film kind of plays into that debate or, or addresses some of those issues? I think that's a great question. I think one of the things that intrigued me about the story was while I was interviewing Catherine, I said to her at one point, and, it's, and there's a version of this in the film, I said to her, Catherine, forgive me, but you're a spy. You hack into people's computers and you listen in on their phone calls. I mean, you're in the dirty tricks world. You know, you, you work for the British government. What did you think was going to happen if you leaked? And she said, I don't work for the British government. I work for the British people. And it sort of stopped me in my tracks. And I said, well, what does that mean? She said, I have no problem listening in if I can help prevent a terror attack. What I object to is being asked to gather intelligence to help the government lie to the British people. And I thought, wow, okay, this is a story. That's intriguing. That It's a story about loyalty. Where does loyalty lie? So in this story, the question is, you know, she's loyal to her own conscience, but she's married to a man from a Kurdish, Turkish man, um, and she's not really loyal to her marriage because by, by leaking, she puts his future at risk, her own future at risk. She's definitely not loyal to the government, but she is loyal to her country. And, and I thought, wow, that's an interesting question. You think loyalty is a simple concept, but actually it's quite complicated. And, uh, and so I hope um, that when folks watch the film, they, they're drawn into that complicated question. And what I also liked about it was, yes, she happens to be a spy and that's her job, but actually the question she's faced with could happen to anybody in almost any organization. Many of us work for you know, an accounting firm or entertainment firm or a legal firm or a Wall Street group um, and maybe we come across something at work that isn't above board and the question is when do you speak up? When do you say this isn't right at the risk of losing your job? And Catherine risked not only losing her job but also her freedom and, and so whatever you think about whether she should or shouldn't have leaked this memo, I don't think anyone can say she wasn't brave. I mean she she risked a great deal to do what she believed was right, both for her own conscience and for the people of her country. Well, and I think it was very interesting for somebody that young that she really did have these very strong convictions about what was right and what was wrong. She's a very, very fascinating person, Catherine, because um, on the one hand, she seems just like any of us. On the other hand, she has um, you know, nerves of steel and she has a very clear moral compass and that's lacking a little bit at the moment. You know, people are very opportunistic about... And I think there's something about the story that, that I liked, which was, Gavin, would you have had the courage to do what she did? And if you were in her situation, what would you have done? And if you didn't do what she did, how would you have excused yourself? How would you have seen this, you know, clearly illegal memo asking for, to spy on Security Council delegates to see if you can twist arms and bend them into a way of thinking by discovering personal information that you might be able to use to bend their, their, their vote on a matter of such importance. Should we be going to war? Would that have given you sleepless nights or would you have just said, oh, well, you know, it's just part of a day's work? 
The other thing it kind of taps into in terms of what's going on currently is we also have these ideas of fake news and, you know, what's being manufactured. And one thing that the film kind of goes into is, you know, what happens when your government starts to lie to you yes. and how do you, and because you also deal with the press in this as well, there's the observer in it. So like what aspect of that were you interested in? Well, I'm, it, it, we are living in a time where you begin to wonder if there is, um, you know, room for good old traditional investigative journalism, and there has to be, because I think part of the problem we're in now is we're in the sort of instant answer. Everybody's tweeting immediately. You have to have an opinion. You have to, and I think sometimes we speak too soon. Um, but unfortunately, we're in that 24-hour news cycle. It's fast, fast, fast. But somewhere there still have to be journalists who are willing to dig deep and help us find an objective truth, because the truth does matter. And, and I think that we're in a strange age of just point scoring. And it would help if we slowed down and were you know, willing to read something longer than just you know, 50 characters or whatever it is now, 25 characters. I do think what the film explores is the role of really good investigative journalism. In a way, the film is in two parts. It's the story of Catherine Gunn, and then it's also the story of the journalists who um, verified you know, the, that the memo was real and decided to publish it and risk their careers if they'd been wrong. And so in a way, the way when I was structuring the, the story was it's really the story of a memo that lands, an illegal memo that lands on Catherine's desk and then she decides to le leak it and it lands on the desk of a journalist and then he doesn't know if it's true or not and so he asks a bunch of questions. Then he publishes it and then of course it goes back to Catherine because now the effect of having published it means that she has to you know, either own up to it or or, or, or live a lie. So you are following a story of a memo through, through these various characters. But I do think in doing so, you get to see some good old-fashioned journalism at work, and you are, are, are forced to ask yourself, you know, what would you do if you were in Catherine's position? Someone in this building has betrayed their country. If you are found to have withheld information, you will be charged with a breach of the Official Secrets Act. Catherine Gunn, who do you think might have leaked the Coser email? I've got something you need to see. Who brought you this? Friend. Be careful. If this is real, you could go to jail just for having it in your possession. You're a spy. You work for the British government. No, I work for the British people. I do not collect information so that the government can lie to the British people. That was more of the trailer from Official Secrets. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Gavin Hood after this quick break. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcasts and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. 
Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. I don't want to give anything away, but there is a point in the film where, you know, you're talking about old-fashioned journalism, where spell check comes into play. <laughs> and it, it, on the one hand, it's, it's so incredible to believe, and then on the other hand, it feels like, oh my God, this is what we've come to, you know? People just, as a matter of course, just go to certain things and, <clears throat> go to certain things and do certain things. Well, the, 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 the so-called spell check scene, and yes, I hate to give it away, so we won't say any more, but the spell check, check scene absolutely happened. Um, the young journalist, whose name I won't say now, but her name is in the film, she's seen the film, she's wonderful. Um, she said it was the worst day of her life. Um, she commits an error, which you can sort of feel hinted at here, but um, that has massive ramifications, a simple, honest error leads to some really unfortunate results. And part of the fun of this film was doing the research and making sure that every one of those beats is not made up. They, you couldn't make up the spell check scene. I mean, you couldn't make it up. It's so, so crazy, that it, it, but it really happened. And, uh, and, and that was the joy of doing this film. It was also a challenge because, you know, the people involved in this film are all still very much alive. Um, they're going to cry foul if you don't get it right. So I interviewed Catherine extensively. I interviewed Martin Bright, the lead journalist, and his colleagues, Ed Vuliami and, and Peter Beaumont, great journalists all um, at The Observer, interviewed them extensively. And then this formidable lawyer, Ben Emerson, who takes on her case, played by Ray Fiennes. Um, ben Emerson is a force of nature, and just trying to keep up with his intellect was, was an experience and, 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 and a great a great opportunity to to write for a for a lawyer who came up comes up and came up with an extraordinarily brilliant defense for Catherine the defense of necessity in a in a political context now one thing and your film doesn't dwell on this but one thing that struck me was having seen vice recently mm. uh, about dick cheney and this and the sense of governments creating laws that on a certain level absolve them of any potential guilt or, or make it much more difficult for people to bring charges against them or to, to make them look bad. And it just seems like it, it's one of those things where you feel like it's something that's being done behind closed doors mm -hmm. and having it pointed out like this is something that you suddenly go like, wait a minute, what are they doing? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, accountability. Um, history generally tends to find people accountable at some point. Um, and maybe if politicians knew that up front, they'd be a little more cautious. Because, because academics and journalists and filmmakers dig through history for stories. And when you come across a great story like Catherine's, Catherine Gunn's story, um, that exposes the lies and the manipulation and the, um, you know, that, we, that, that happened in the lead-up to the Iraq War. Um, there were no weapons of mass destruction. We were lied to, and many people lost their lives as a result of those lies. Uh, you, those stories are going to come out. Um, there's always someone who took a memo in a meeting that leaks it at some point. In this case, the Manning memo, um, the Downing Street memo. All of these memos are now available and have um, and, we, and we can piece together what happened, much like the Pentagon Papers. Um, this is a sort of British version of the Pentagon Papers. So I, 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 again, I think, I think it asks us all to, to think again about how we might behave in a moment. Do we behave opportunistically in the moment, or do we, or do we think about what the consequences might be and what the morality and ethics of the question are, and, and adjust our behavior accordingly? In a number of films, like Sotsi and Rendition, 
you deal with social and political issues. Is that something that draws you to film? Do you feel that film can do something in terms of engaging the audience in these stories in a different way than a straight-up news story can? I think there's a place for you know, great news, which is why I'm such a fan of good investigative journalism, but there's also a place for good drama and good storytelling. Human beings just love stories. We, we're story-driven creatures. And, um, and in some ways, um, a film like Official Secrets um, has, gives us the opportunity to do both. It gives us a chance to take what might be quite dry material in a news article and put it out into the world in a much more human way because we can see the characters interacting and, and, and the drama of the story. And so you, you get the story out to a very wide audience if you do it halfway right. You hope you, hope you get it out to an audience. But um, I've always felt that um, you know, I'm, I'm an ex-lawyer by background, so way back in my past, um, I tend to find these kind of difficult questions interesting. Um, but I never want to preach to the audience. I hope that what, what films like rendition or eye in the sky or, or official secrets do is they they respect the audience's intelligence and present them with a story but without telling them what to think it's absolutely fine at the end of eye in the sky for example to still debate what you would do and the same in official secrets it's absolutely fine if my audience is saying well i don't know if she did the right thing or no i think she did do the right thing nothing gives me more satisfaction than to secretly come out of a screening and hear people disagreeing with each other um, as opposed to, well, that was cool, should we get a pizza? <laughs> at least they're talking, at least they're, even if they don't agree. In terms of how you wanted to shoot this and create the film, mm. there's, this is about spies, but it's not like Jason Bourne. There's not action. There's not these big dramatic kind of mm. scenes. So how do you tackle something like that and kind of build the tension and get the audience wrapped up in the story? I, I think that's a great question. It's very tempting to take a lot of license and try and, you know, I, I had notes sometimes from studio executives said, you know, we need more running down alleys and, you know, it's like, like when does she put on her cape? And literally that was one of the, when does she put on her cape? And right, well, the truth is these folks, as I said to you, are very much alive and, and, and you're going to get caught out if you deviate from the material facts in some silly way just for the sake of sensational drama. It is a political drama. It isn't an action movie. So, and I think there's lots of great action movies. Nothing, nothing wrong with going to a great Bourne. I'm, I'm there, you know, it's great. But this film is, is, um, is a story about morality and, and loyalty and what would you do on a, ve on a very personal level. And, and I think it's tense, but it's tense in a way that is about what will happen to an ordinary person in these extraordinary circumstances without them having to be chased down an alley or jump from a train, you know. Um, so I think it's just a matter of trusting that the audience will at some point know that they're watching a story that comes, that, that really happened to someone and hasn't been hyped. Um, and I hope there's enough tension in that truth for them to enjoy the film. And you said you were in contact with Catherine Gunn in terms of prepping for the film. Mm. Did Kira Knightley ever meet with her, or yeah. did you want to keep them apart? <laughs> no, Kira and Catherine met early on, and one of the things Kira absolutely wanted to do um, was meet with Catherine. And I remember we set up a lunch, and they they just chatted and chatted for a good few hours, and then were in touch subsequently. I think one of the fun things for Kira was she said to me, Gab, I really want to do this, but you've got to promise me that I can really just walk out of makeup in five seconds. I am so done with having to be in a corset. Um, and she said, 
it's so hard to find contemporary stories, ironically, with strong female leads, that usually she finds strong female leads in period dramas, when women's rights were not what they are today, and there's something ironic about that. So um, it was great to have her on board. She's supremely talented and very smart. And yes, she got out of makeup in five seconds. She just literally put on a pair of jeans, she puts on the jumper that's clothes that Catherine would wear, um, you know, no makeup on the set and get on with the emotional work. And, and that was great because I didn't have to wait around for people being wardrobe or, or makeup. And you've mentioned that these people are still alive. Yeah. Have any of them seen the film and expressed their opinions about it? I'm very thankful that they're all very supportive. We've been doing a bunch of Q&As and we're doing screenings in Washington and New York soon and we've been to San Francisco with Catherine and Martin and it's great fun to do Q&As with you know, the real spy on my right, the real journalist on my left, just let them have at it. So they have been very supportive. As I say, in the research process, I, I interviewed them extensively and I ran all the scenes by them and because you, the last thing you want, never mind from a credibility point of view, but also from a financial point of view, you don't want to make a film and then have the still living people say, what a, what a lot of nonsense, that didn't happen like that. So I, I think we can proudly stand behind that what you see in the film happened. Obviously, it's a story that took place over a year, and I'm telling a story in two hours, so you're compressing the story down. Um, but my kind of rule was, every material fact must be accurate. So this is when the memo came, this is what, what she said about, this is when she... I shouldn't give anything away. But um, yeah, then it was passed to so-and-so. This is what Martin did with these are the people he interviewed. This is the lawyer, Ben. This is the argument that he came up with. But I'll give you an example of where you take a little license. Um, there are meetings that the journalists have that probably were four or five meetings before they decided to publish Memo. In the film, it's one meeting, and all of the key arguments are brought out in that meeting. In reality, they met four or five times debating whether they thought it was a good idea to publish the, 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 the story. In terms of uh, their reactions to it, um, was there anything that, like when you were interviewing people or interviewing Catherine, was there anything that was so kind of incredible that you felt you couldn't put it in the film because it might not be believed? Well, we've talked about the, the spell check scene. <laughs> you know, people are going to think I made this up, but you have to put it in the movie because it's great. So no, I don't think there was anything that I um, couldn't put in the movie. It was just a matter of compressing time. So there's a moment in the movie where she's told that she can't speak to lawyers, that the Official Secrets Act binds her for life and that she really, the only people she can speak to if she has an issue is her bosses at GCHQ. And, and effectively, she was put under a gag order. And the truth is that that gag order took her lawyer six months to get lifted with many court appearances. And in the movie, we go, six months later. <laughs> and we kind of put... Because it just... In terms of pure drama, it's quite boring. All these, but so in that sense, Catherine, what Catherine went through was much tougher than you see in the film because in the film I'm making it happen in, in, in a, at a much faster pace. There were many, many days when she just didn't know what was going to happen to her, and where being told she couldn't even speak to an attorney went on for six months while lawyers tried to get that gag order lifted, and then they were back on track and able to defend her. The other small event, you know, with her husband, he was um, taken and threatened with deportation. In the film, she goes to see her MP, Nigel Jones, which she did, um, and she gets him out in a day. The truth is, it took three days, and she didn't know where she was for three days, but at that, that moment the movie, I had written it like that, and I said, Catherine, my audience needs to get to the end now. I'm afraid I'm going to montage the section and compress it, and I hope Yasha, your husband, isn't mad at me for that. 
but you still feel the tension and the fear of you know what has happened to my husband they've taken my husband and and we move through that faster in the film than the real pain that she went through but um, so those are the sort of decisions you make but none of those decisions are an exaggeration was my I'm not going to exaggerate and I'm not going to change the material facts we have to take these key steps and they must all be in the film and what did you feel was the biggest challenge in getting this to the screen well in a way it was getting a script while being in some ways hamstrung by the truth <laughs> you know sometimes you want to take license just to make it more dramatic and when you're writing a fiction film you absolutely do that and so there were some debates at times like well Gav can't you just take a little more license here and I, I, I just said, the drama comes from the truth. This really happened. And there's plenty of drama here in what happened. And it may not fit into a conventional structure as neatly as we're used to. And it may not um, you know, accelerate to the big fight scene at the end, which we've all, frankly, probably gotten a bit bored with. So it, it might not structurally be conventional. But um, I hope audiences will go with that because they're watching the way the story really unfolded. Well, and I like the fact that you do have a clip of the real Catherine Gunn in the film right. for us to see. And she does seem completely, you know, full of the conviction that you see in the film. So I thought it was a nice way to, to show that this portrait is quite accurate. Yes, the real Catherine Gunn is an amazing person. On the one hand, she's just like you and I. She's quite shy. Um, she's a, a lovely person but she has a backbone of steel. And we need that, you know. We're, we, we need folks um, every now and then who stand up and say, this isn't right, and, you know, damn the consequences, but I'm going to say it. And she paid a very heavy price, even though, uh, well, I shouldn't give away the ending, but, you know, she is the person who leaked that memo. And there are people who admire her f for that, and there are people who don't. And so she stuck her head above the parapet and there's bravery in that and courage in that. Even if you don't agree with what she did, you cannot call her a coward. I mean, this is brave to say, I'm, I'm seeing something that is fundamentally wrong and I'm going to say so. And, and even if it risks my job and in her case, her freedom. Well, I want to thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. This has been a special edition of Cinema Junkie. The podcast regularly comes out every other Friday, and I'll be back next Friday with another episode to satisfy your celluloid addiction. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. <laughs>